Many of us probably are familiar with that story. Maybe not. If you're not, good. I'm glad you're here. Um, We're going to look in two parts at this account called the Transfiguration of Jesus. And um, growing up in church most of my life, this was hit every couple years, and it was like Jesus became like snow and let's roll. That's what I was, okay, but I was 12, so it was probably much more than that, right? But the point is Jesus shined like a rock star, and then he get, did more stuff. And I get that, but it's deeper. And as we get through the Easter season, on into summer and on to the fall, we're going to be really taking a season to look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached. And there's a correlation between this passage and that one, and that's why I want to dwell for a bit and try and show us what's there. The transfiguration, big word, right? Lots of churches called the Church of the Transfiguration, especially over in the Middle East. But what happened? If you're familiar, good. If it's mysterious, good, because we want to take a look at the mystery of what's happening in Mark, or actually Mark 9, verse 2 we'll start. Mark 9, 2, and we'll go through 8. Let me pray quickly because I learned long ago you should say a quick prayer before you open up the Bible before people, right? Yeah, the answer is yeah. Let me pray. Father, help me. Help your people. Show us Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Men. So here we go. Mark 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Everybody wants to be Peter, James, or who? John. No one wants to be Philip. No one wants to be who? Judas. I get that. I'm with you. Most people believe they were there for a reason, but one of the reasons... They were there as Jesus in his humanity knew if he left for a few hours, the gentlemen who would likely to get in trouble were Peter, <laughs> James, and John. So we, we can relate, some of us, right? So they're there. And look what Mark says. And he led them, verse 2, Mark 9, up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. That's strange. I want us to see, before we see this strange word transfiguration or transfigured, I want us to see something else. In Mark 9, verse 2, he led them up a high mountain. He did. Mount Tabor. Pretty high. In the Galilean area. Think about mountains in the Bible. The first one, Mount Sinai, right? Anybody remember that was? In the Egyptian wilderness, way far away from the promised land, very difficult to climb. People who, there, there's tourism, tours, maybe one day we can go, that'd be awesome to go to Israel, some people, right? That'd be amazing. Um, I'd have to get in shape to climb up Mount uh, Sinai, because it's difficult, it's rocky, it can be somewhat dangerous. In the time, back in the Old Testament, bandits hung around the area. So that was Moses in his mountain. Jesus, Mount Tabor at the Transfiguration, in the Galilean area, it's very lush. Most of us could walk up it today. It's a mountain, there's elevation, but it's different topography. 
That's important. That's why I mentioned it. You'll see why. Think of Half Dome and Ireland. You got two pictures in your mind? Half Dome's beautiful, but without ropes, we're probably not going, right? <laughs> but then you get pictures of people who are Ireland or other places where it's just lush and green and rolling hills. You're like, I want to go there. That's what Jesus is saying. Margaret Easy, smiling back there, and other Irish folks. And he was transfigured, and this word literally means from the inside out, he became brilliant in glory. Not like us humans, when we array ourselves tonight at the Oscars, they think they're brilliant from outside in, but from inside out, Jesus became brilliant before these men. Verse 3, Mark 9, and his clothes became radiant, intensely what? White, as no one on earth could bleach them. Ladies and gents, as a challenge, we couldn't get him this clean. He is radiant. Verse 4, here's where it gets interesting. And there appeared with them Elijah with Moses, and they were walking with Jesus. Verse 5. And Peter said to Jesus, Layla read this, this is where he picked it up, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Peter's like, this is awesome. I put my foot in my mouth, I'm hard-headed, but I'm, I'm watching this, right? It's good for we are here. Let us make three tents, or literally three shrines, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And this is a tough part of the Scripture for Peter, verse 6. Mark 9, verse 6. You see that first part when it comes up there? Peter did not know what to say, <laughs> for they were terrified. Anybody want some free advice in church? If you do not know what to say, and if you are terrified, everyone take their right hand, do it, and go like this. Don't say anything. Because it sounds like, in verse 5, Mark 9, uh, 9, verse 5, it sounds like Peter's on to something here, right? You'll see. Peter steps in it here, almost the way he steps in it later. Moses, Elijah, they show up with Jesus. They're walking around. If we had iPhones, we'd Instagram it, or Facebook it, or we'd do whatever. This is amazing. What's happening? This is where we have to go beyond Jesus is lily white, it's cute, it's glorious, and God is saying something all the way back to those mountains. Remember Sinai, Moses' mountain. Dangerous, craggy, difficult to walk up, somewhat unsuccessful. Moses went up the first time, remember, got the law from God, and what were the people doing when he returned? Worshiping a cow. Somewhat unsuccessful. Moses, obviously, here represents what? The law, the law of God, the Old Testament, the old witness. Anybody know what testament means? I'll tell you. It means witness. The old witness. That's all it means. God spoke through the law, and were were his children obedient, as Layla prayed in our invocation? Sometimes, but not really. So God in his plan said, I'm going to send some other people. Their name will be the prophets. And that's who Elijah represents. So Moses, the law, and Elijah, the prophets, meet with Jesus on a mountain in the New Witness, in the New Testament. And they're walking around. 
And James, John, and Peter are terrified, and Peter sticks his foot in his where? Mouth. Because what does Peter say? This is amazing. Jess, here we go. We got Jesus, we got Moses, we got Elijah. Then go get the building supplies. Paul, get the buses. I don't know your name yet, but you're awesome. You go get the stuff we'll sell and we'll make money. We'll do a little circus around Jesus right here. That's what's going on. Peter's like, we made it. Because we know from other accounts, the disciples will talk amongst themselves, who does Jesus really like best? And these guys are rubbing elbows going, we made it. We're in the inner circle. We're going to make money and be famous And here is Messiah being fulfilled. And the problem is, verse 6 says what? If you don't know what to say and you're scared, everyone take their right hand and go zip. I'll go even further. If you don't know what to say, even if you're not scared, everyone take their right hand and what? Zip. So here's our scene. Jesus... Messiah walking, breathing, living, kingdom of heaven is being preached by him, takes a few recluse disciples up to a mountain, a beautiful lush mountain, remember that. He's transfigured, his glory is manifest from inside out, and the law and the prophets appear with him. And then Peter says what? We have them all! Let's memorialize this. Above all, we could debate forever, what was the goal of the law and the prophets? I'm just kind of speaking rhetorically, but think about that. What was the goal of the Old Testament? Why did God give the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and then give prophets? God, from Genesis on, desired people, his people, to rightly worship him and rightly love others. But as people go... Paul talks about this in Galatians. The law was a school teacher. There were lots of prophets around when Elijah and Daniel and Isaiah lived from other countries, pagan countries. And the other prophets were very well received by their people. Why? Because they said, our gods are going to kill all our enemies. That's what their message was. And all the people said, I'm on board. Where do I need to sign up and what do I need to pay? But the reason why Elijah and his contemporaries got in a little bit of trouble is they were the first prophets of recorded history to critique their own culture. You understand what I just said? Be like uh, some... Buddy from a no-name family growing up in San Carlos, going off to L.A., coming back to San Carlos and go, you guys have it a bit wrong, you city of good living people. We'd be like, oh, really, Sonny? How was Barstow? That's what we'd say to him, right? Where are you from? Because the Hebrew prophets were the first prophets to critique their own culture and their own faith. And that was God's plan. So all the while, God desired to be rightly worshipped. The law, the first four First four commandments, God, other six, ten people, right? Linear and horizontally. And then God wanted his people to love him, God, and prove it to the nations. Basically show it. 
So in this account, if I haven't explained it, sorry, I've taken long enough, the law and the prophets and Jesus are all represented and Peter wants to build a mall. He wants to build the first Disneyland. Jesus probably is offended by this notion. And again, here's the notion. Peter, representing the disciples, maybe representing the church, us Gentiles, he's Jewish, coming to faith. Peter is putting Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on the same playing field. That's what's happening. That's what Peter's doing. Peter says, the law, the prophets, and Jesus are all the same. We got them all. Let's rock. That's what's happening here. I said the law and the prophets struggled because I remember Solomon. Remember Solomon? Solomon was king of Israel at its greatest time. Solomon's land and riches and wisdom early on abounded. And he was the king, in essence, they always wanted. Remember way back when? Why did they want Saul? We want a king because everybody else has a king. We want to be like everybody else. If we really read the text, if we really dig into Solomon's life, Solomon resembled Pharaoh more than any God-fearing king by the end. What Solomon did in his rule and reign with the law and the prophets and God's plan was he, by his own decree, made a mini little Egyptian empire in the promised land and things went all downhill from there. Do you think it was good for Solomon to have a harem and a concubine under the law and prophets? Do you think it was good for Solomon to not only ordain but place pagan places of worship in the kingdom to satisfy the people so there would be no revolt? My point is Solomon looked like Pharaoh not like a good Hebrew king. And I would argue that if Moses, he lived first, or Elijah later, saw Solomon on the throne, what do you think they would have done? Moses was kind of a tough guy. I think he would have went up to Solomon and said, you're really working counterproductively for what the law was all about. We were trying to do something, Solomon, us old-timers, and this isn't it. Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Moses and Elijah are here to proclaim once and for all this. This is what they are proclaiming in this account. There is a new lawgiver. His name is Jesus Christ. We are not equals with him. He is far greater than us. That's why the transfiguration happened. I'm going to say it again. Moses and Elijah and God's plan are shouting from the Mount Tabor. We'll say it that way. Jesus is greater than us. He is giving the perfect law. We were giving a shadow of what the kingdom is like. Dave, how do you get there? You should ask that question. You should check what I say with what? The scriptures, because if it doesn't jive, you should say, let's go have coffee, and then if it doesn't jive, get someone else, because we'll have more coffee. 
Look at verse 7. This is, all this comes from verse 7. Peter does his thing. He wants to build a Disneyland. Moses and Eliza are just hanging out. They're happy to be there. And look what happens. A cloud overshadowed the whole thing. Back, one verse 7. And a voice came out of the cloud. Yahweh, God the Father. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God, in a sense, would have been horrible on Facebook because he speaks briefly but powerfully. There wouldn't be many rabbit trails. I want you to see this. If we could unpack it in its original language and context, this is what's literally happening. Peter, with all this going on, be quiet. This is Jesus. He is greater than both the law, the prophets. Listen to him. What God is saying from the Mount of Transfiguration, everything I'm ever going to say to you people, I'm saying in my Son, Jesus. Jesus is far superior from the law and the prophets because he's fulfilling them. Jesus, as we'll learn in the Sermon on the Mount, is the new lawgiver and speaks with authority. Not, I have somewhat authority because I have a loud voice. Jesus doesn't speak with a loud voice. Jesus speaks with the authority to say, you have heard it was said in the law and the prophets, I am telling you the finality of that law, the fulfillment of it. Moses said, At times you can stone your enemies and kill them all. Jesus says the new law is what? Love your enemies and pray for them. And one of the issues we'll walk through, church, walk with me through this Easter season as we go, because this is tough. Sometimes I use Moses to protect me from Jesus. You ever been there? No, you're good Christians. Sometimes I use Jeremiah to protect me from the Son of Man. Sometimes I use Daniel to say, I don't want that much Jesus because Daniel takes me here, but if I go here, I need to forgive. And I need to pray for them. And I need to love them. And I need to serve them. And I need to give more, because I'm confident that God will give me the grace to what? Do so. So the point being made on the Mount of Transfiguration, that's part two, by the way, the prequel, no one will show up to church. It's Celebration Sunday, we're going to do it the week after, so show up next week. But the point is, the law and the prophets are not on the same playing field as Jesus Christ. That's what's being, the point's being made. And I'm not making that point. Who is? God the Father. (laughs) We know him, the big man up where? The loving Father. The Father we sang about, Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west. As I close, these are the interesting things about the two locations. On Mount Sinai, Exodus, if you're not familiar with it, read it. It's kind of tough. It gets a little wordy and historical and generational, but read it. Moses goes up to meet with God. And lots of things are happening, and God is active in Moses' life. And Moses, from a pure heart, says what? Dad, I want to see your glory. Remember that? 
And what does God say? Anybody who sees my glory will die. There's lots of theological implications, but in that story it means you can't see me because you'll be gone. But I'll tell you what, Moses, to build you up as a further sign, you go hide in this cleft of this rock. I will figuratively, God, put my hand over you. I will pass by you, and when it's time, I'll say, hey, Mo, look now. That's what happens. And what does Moses see? The back of God, the back of his glory, right? That's what happens. And then he goes and talks with God. He doesn't see him in his full glory. And he comes down. He has to wear a veil sometimes because, what, his face is glowing? The first time he comes down and smashes the law, he's so angry at the people, he goes back up and gets it again. But the point is, Mount Sinai is the place where humanity saw the back of God. And for some of us, I'm going to be real honest, the back of God is enough. And as a pastor, I'm here to tell you, no, it's not. If we're only interested in the back of God, only seeing him from afar, my charge is let's dig deeper and see the full face of God. In who? Jesus Christ. Again, Sinai, rocky, dangerous, weird, dark, clouds, fire, pretty awesome. But go to the other mountain. Lush, green. Peter, a sinner. Saved by grace. James, a sinner, saved by grace. John, a sinner, saved by grace. Saw the glory of God Almighty and they weren't eviscerated. They weren't... They weren't not. And upon seeing this glory, upon this account happening, upon them getting it, going, oh, he's bigger and better than everyone, they hear a voice a loving voice of that same God from Mount Sinai saying, this is my son, I love him immensely, do as he what? Says, listen to him. Folks, we get to listen to God in the face of Jesus Christ. For the next six months, we're going to study the life of Jesus Christ and say, here it is, but I'm here to warn you. If we as Christians use the law and the prophets to save us from Jesus, it's going to be awesome because God's going to break down that and God's going to show us himself in Jesus Christ. In a couple weeks, I want to finish this up and I want to take a really in-depth look at what that phrase means. Dave, you keep saying, how do you use Moses to save you from Jesus? I want to look at that. It's pertinent. Hear me. Especially for the next six months of our country. It's pertinent. Don't be a pawn and don't be used by political machines in this culture. Find out who Jesus is. Find out who God is. And you know, go deeper. And don't be, don't be a puppet to anyone. Be a servant of the king, right? This is an amazing story. God says from on high, the law and the prophets were good because I gave them. My son is far better. Listen to him. We're going to have one more song. I'm going to pray, and then we'd love to have you fellowship with us over there. Real quick, one more housekeeping. Be here next Saturday for Jim Bellison's memorial service. It'll be a wonderful time of celebration and uh, loving and supporting the family. As you pray for the Bellison family, the, the thing that was going through my head on the plane home was just pray that God's love would surround them. Just his enduring love would surround them. 
and that we would serve in a way that would honor the Lord. So let me pray, and music team, come on back up. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus. This story. Thank you for Peter. I can relate to him, and many of us can. Thank you for setting us straight, for clearing the air and setting the record straight of who your son is. Far superior to the law and the prophets, for he is the fulfiller. Help us understand that. Help us dive deeper into that in the two weeks. Father, be with your people. Bless them and keep them. Give them grace in Jesus' name. Amen.